Thank you for listening to our midweek service from Christian Ministry Church. We're praying that this message blesses, encourages, and equips you to build the kingdom of God. And now for our featured speaker, Chloe Davis. Good evening, everyone. If I do not know you, my name is Chloe, and I'm on staff here at Christian Ministries. And tonight we are just continuing our Sermon on the Mount series, and so we're going to be in Matthew 6. So if you would like to turn there, you can go ahead and work on turning there. Tonight we're going to be talking about money and possessions in our part eight of the Sermon on the Mount series. And we're going to talk about two different uh, kinds of treasures, two different kinds of lives, and two different kinds of masters, just to give you an idea of how we're going to be tracking through this tonight. So we're starting in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, and the word says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moss eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moss and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Treasures here on earth will be destroyed and stolen, whereas treasures in heaven cannot be touched. So the writer of Ecclesiastes makes it plain in the book of Ecclesiastes that treasures here on earth are actually meaningless. And in Ecclesiastes 2, he, he starts off by writing in verse 1, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure, let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. And we see that in chapter 2, throughout the, the remainder of, of the chapter, he goes on to try wine, he builds large homes for himself and plants beautiful vineyards, he makes gardens and parks full of fruit trees, and he has large herds and flocks. He's got everything that a man could want. And he, he notes in, in, in this writing that specifically he has more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before him. So he's got it all. He collects lots of silver and gold and he hires wonderful singers. And yet he ends the passage with verses 11, 8 through 11. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verses 8 through 11. He writes, I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I, de I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all of my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So the writer of Ecclesiastes echoes Jesus' words in Matthew 6. Don't store up treasures here on earth. You can have everything that a man could desire, everything, all of it, yet it's all meaningless because we were created for much more than material things and the wealth of this world. So there are other places where we see this clear in scripture, and the most obvious place I think would be to all of us as, as believers is when the disciples leave everything to follow Jesus. In Matthew 4.20 it says, and they left their nets at once to follow him. So some of these disciples were fishermen, and so when they leave their nets, they leave their occupation, they leave their livelihood, and they leave how they know to make a living. So they're leaving behind the way that they provide for themselves. Disclaimer, this does not mean to go quit your job to follow Jesus. <laughs> uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy make it very clear in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 12, that believers should not be idle, and those unwilling to work will not eat. So this does not mean don't go quit your job. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. However, this does mean evaluate what you depend on. Matthew 4:22 says they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So they left their dad. Bye, dad. 
Luke 5.22, so Levi, Matthew the tax collector, got up, left everything, and followed him. So he followed Jesus. He left everything and followed Jesus. They left their earthly treasures to follow Jesus and to seek out heavenly treasures. If we know what we are made for, we will store our treasures in heaven. Well, what is a treasure stored in heaven? We can answer this question by asking ourselves, biblically, what were we made for? We were made for the garden in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, to walk with God and be close to him. We were made to love God and to love others, the first and second greatest commandment. We were made for the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in his name, teaching them to obey all that Jesus had commanded them, and given his, all the commands that he had given his disciples. We were made to be his witnesses, telling people about Jesus everywhere we go, like he told the disciples to do in Acts chapter 1. We were made to humble ourselves and serve others, like Jesus washed the disciples' feet in the Gospels. However, because we all do these things differently, consider for a moment, how do you love God in your everyday life? John 15, if you love me, you'll obey me. How do you obey God in your everyday life? How do you love him in your everyday life? How do you love others in your everyday life? How do you live out the Great Commission daily by making disciples and planting spiritual seeds? How do you tell, Jesus, uh, tell people about Jesus everywhere that you go? How do you serve others on a daily basis? This is your treasure stored in heaven because you choose what you value and what you value is evident by the way that you live your life. And remember that where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So wherever you place your treasure, the desires of your heart will follow or vice versa. Your desire is here and the treasures will follow that. It is clear that the disciples' treasure was found in following the will of God. The desires of their hearts were found in following Jesus, and that is how we know if God is on the throne seat of our hearts. So the throne seat of our hearts being the highest place of our hearts, being the highest place that we value, the thing that we look to most. I always picture, if you think about like a movie that has a king on a throne, it's in the center of the room. It's typically elevated compared to where everyone else's, I guess the peasants, like that's what, it, that's what it would be, the peasant compared to the king. It would be like looking up into the center of the room. So he is on the throne seat of our hearts. That's how we know if our treasure, if our money, our time, our thoughts, and our dependency and trust is placed in the Lord. Where is your treasure? Where do you sow your money into? What do you sow your money into? What do you spend your time doing? What or who do you depend on and trust in? That is where your heart is. That's what's sitting on the throne seat, that highest center place of your heart. I have five points for you to break it down. Number one, what we have on earth is not the most valuable thing. Jesus says to Martha in Luke chapter 10, verses 41 and 42, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary, the one sitting at my feet has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus is the most valuable thing. Number two, we must not place our hope in our things. Our things can be taken from us, but he is the one thing that will not be taken away. What did he, what did he tell? What did he tell Martha in, in Luke 10, what we just read? It will not be taken away from her. Mary has discovered the one thing and it will not be taken away from her and it is her 
sitting at my feet. He will not be taken away from us. We cannot place, we, can't, we can place our hope in him, but not in other things because the other things can be taken from us. Proverbs uh, chapter 13, verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. When we place our hope in him, knowing that he is a faithful father, our hope in him does not make our heart sick because he is a faithful father. But if we place our hope in the things of this world, our hope will continually be deferred until our hearts are sick. Things are not faithful. Even people are not faithful like our God is faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13, Paul writes from prison, if we, were, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Who he is is faithful, so we can put our hope in him. Number three, we must not rely on our finances. As believers, we should see God as Jehovah Jireh provider. And the Jehovah Jireh provider comes from Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, after God provides a sacrifice for Abraham to burn on the altar instead of his son Isaac. That's where it comes from. <laughs> God tells Abraham, if you don't know the story, to sacrifice his only son Isaac, whom he loved, and as Abraham pulls out his knife to kill his son, an angel of the Lord intervenes and provides a ram for Abraham to sacrifice instead. The word says that Abraham feared God because he did not withhold his son, his only son, from God. What do I withhold from God? What am I not willing to sacrifice or lay on the altar for him? My life proclaims, I proclaim, you are not Jehovah Jireh, you are not the God who provides when I withhold anything from him that he's asked me to give up or to lay on the altar or to sacrifice. My life proclaims that. I don't have to proclaim it with my lips if my life proclaims it. While one may be financially secure, they can be in debt of the heart. We must recognize that every ounce of our provision comes from the Lord and it's all his. It's all his. Number four, we need to know when we have enough. Think about when you're sitting at the table during Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner, and you already know that your stomach is full. You've reached that point. You're like, okay, I can tell that I'm full, oh, but this food is so good. This food is so good. And so you, you have that feeling in your stomach. You're like, oh, I know I shouldn't eat anymore, but you just keep shoveling it in because the food is just so good. So you keep eating when your body is telling you to stop. Your body is like, please stop feeding me. I don't need any more in my stomach. Um, do you know what this does to your body, like scientifically and biologically? It's interesting. So according to a research uh, dietitian at MD Anderson, overeating causes the stomach to expand beyond its normal size to adjust to the large amount of food. So as you eat more, your stomach expands. And as your stomach expands, it actually pushes against other organs, which gives you this uncomfortable feeling, and that's what causes you to feel tired, sluggish, or drowsy. So after you eat that Thanksgiving dinner or, or that Christmas dinner and you feel very tired and drowsy and like you're ready to have a really good nap or go to sleep, that's what that's from is because you just expanded your stomach and you pushed against your internal organs. <laughs> So when we live a life that is in constant want of excess things, our appetite of greed, selfishness, and pride will expand and it pushes against God's spirit within us, causing an inner turmoil and an inner wrestling. So there's this, there's this thing that happens where we're, where we're, we're eating greed and selfishness and pride by having an appetite of an excess want. 
Also, when you overeat, your metabolism uh, speeds up as it tries to burn off the extra calories, so your body's trying to keep up with all that you're eating. This gives you a temporary feeling of being hot, sweaty, maybe dizzy. Your body's trying to catch up with all that you're eating. It's trying to keep track of it. We weren't made to catch up with culture and all that it sells to us, which leads us into point number five. We must learn to be content with whatever we have. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, the Apostle Paul explains that he has learned to be content with whatever he has. He, he has learned to live with almost nothing and with everything, with a full stomach or empty, and he calls contentment the secret of living in every situation. That's what he calls contentment, the secret of living in every situation. When Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in this passage, just so you know, he's talking about God giving him the strength to remain content while starving, Thankful while homeless, grateful to be persecuted and, and imprisoned for the name of Jesus to be magnified. So when he's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, it's following this passage that talks about contentment. It talks about, I have found the secret for living in every situation, and therefore I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I am content. Because I am content with whatever I have. We are blessed beyond measure, and we should work toward being content in any situation. So there were two kind of treasures. Next, we're going to talk about two kind of lives. Verses 22 and 23. Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23. Back to the Matthew passage. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. So we've heard the phrase, the eyes are the window to the soul. Well, if my eye being healthy leads to my body being filled with light, what are my eyes set on? And like the three previous verses that we just read in Matthew 6, what or who do I look to for provision? What or who gets my life? Ephesians 5, verses 5 through 9, say you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, Worshiping the things of this world, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. This passage tells us that a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. But we know that's not who we are because we worship God and not the things of this world. Our treasure, like we just talked about, is stored in heaven. Our treasure is found in him. And because our treasure is found in him, we have light from the Lord. So we live as people of the light. We live in the life in the light compared to those that live in the dark. First Peter 2, 9, he has called us out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. He is the light of the world, and as we focus on him, our heavenly treasure, and not the things of this world, our eye is healthy and our body is filled with light. Now, when we're focusing, when we're looking at the things of this world, our eye becomes unhealthy and our bodies are filled with darkness. This is a warning to check ourselves and make sure that we don't just think we have light. So in other words, we don't just think we're being led by the light of the world while actually having darkness, or in other words, being led by our own greedy and selfish motives, but we are genuinely led by the light of the world as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the light of the world. 
And so we don't need to be deceived by our own selves by thinking that we have light when we're actually filled with darkness. So we need to be fixing our eyes on Jesus. That way our eyes and our bodies can be filled with light rather than looking at the things of this world which fills our lives with darkness. There's a popular saying, I don't know if you've heard it, that you steer wherever you stare. I don't know who said it. I don't. I can't quote them. They, you steer wherever you stare. If you are constantly looking at things of this world, the things of this world are going to consume your life, and it will be filled with darkness. That's what Scripture says. But when you are looking at Jesus, the light of the world, the kingdom of God will consume your life, and it will be filled with light. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. If you follow me, how do you follow somebody? You see them or they're hand in hand walking you through life. So in order to follow Jesus, we have to see him. We have to be step by step with him, looking at him. And when we follow him, we have a life that is filled with light because he is the light that leads to life. And if we're not following him, we're walking in darkness. So where your eye looks will determine where your life is going. And it's either walking towards darkness or it's walking towards light. In Matthew 14, Peter walks on water. But when does he start to sink? When he takes his eyes off of Jesus. If you take your eyes off of Jesus, you will sink. Don't look down at your finances or what you're lacking and be filled with worry when Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is right there. He's right there, and you just have to look at him rather than looking down at whatever the waves are in your life. Finally, we're going to talk about two kinds of masters. Verse 24, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Jesus is saying here, if you love money, you hate me. If you love me, you must hate money. If you are devoted to money, you despise me. And if you're devoted to me, you must despise money. If you serve me, you cannot be enslaved to money. Other verses and passages that speak to this, this same idea, and this is all throughout Scripture, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, true godliness with contentment, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. True godliness with contentment, the secret to living in every situation, itself is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith. So money is, is something that in, in this time period and in this culture caused people to walk away from the true faith because they were craving money, because their eyes weren't on Jesus but on the things of this world. Well, money is a way that, that we do life. We interact with money on a daily basis. So 
what are we to do, what are we to do about it considering what scripture has to say about it? We have to use it, we have to steward it, and there are so many passage in script, passages in scripture that we're, we can't cover tonight, there's not enough time, um, that speak to how we are to steward it, how we're to use it, um, and, and what to do with our finances. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19 is one of them. So this is a continuation of the previous passage that I read. Paul writes to Timothy, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. We use money, the passage says, their trust should be in God and tell them to use their money, to use their money to do good. They use their money. We use our money, but we do not use God. We use our money, but we do not use God. We serve God. And we can use our money to serve God by using our money to do good, being generous to those in need, and always being ready to share with others, like that passage just said. This is another way that we store up heavenly treasure to experience true life, what the end of that passage says, that they may experience true life. We give up earthly treasures to store up heavenly ones. Misplaced money, like so many other areas of our lives, it comes down to a lordship issue, and it's been an issue since the time of the Israelites. Catch this, Deuteronomy 8, Moses tells the Israelites to remember that all that God has done for them in the ways in which he has provided for them. Moses speaks of the promised land that they're about to walk into. So they're, they're getting around this time where they're about to walk into the promised land. He's telling them about it, and he tells them not to forget about who the Lord is and uh, all that he's done for them in the past. And he tells them that the promised land is a place where the food will be plentiful and the Israelites will be lacking nothing. Moses reminds them of the following in Deuteronomy 8. The Lord your God rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. He led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He gave you, he fed you with manna. He gave you manna. He gave you water and food when you needed it. Verses 17 and 18 in Deuteronomy 8. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. He is the one who has restored and redeemed you. He is the one who provided that job. He is the one who has given you that skill. He is the one that opened that, the door for that house. It is all his. It's all his, and it comes down to a lordship issue. The Greek word for Lord is master. We cannot call him Lord if he is not master, and he must be master over our finances, meaning that everything we have is actually his. And so people may go, go out and say, well, I work really hard for my money, and I, you know, I labor and I toil and I work really hard for my money. Well, who gave you that job? It was God. God gave you that job, and he then provides that money through the way that you work because then he gave you the skill to do that job. He gave you the brain to think about how to do that job and how to do it in a, in a way that works well and that makes you money. He is master of it all. We cannot call him Lord if he is not master. So we've been talking about the kingdom of God this year, 
And I want you to know that as you store up heavenly treasure, look to Jesus as the light of the world and Jehovah Jireh, our provider, using your money to honor and glorify God, you will experience peace because you're utilizing a tool that God has given you to live life in the way that he designed it to be used. Money is just a tool that we get to use for his glory, that we get to use to usher in his kingdom on earth in our lives and in the lives around us. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, writes, Let the average man be put to the proof on the question of who is above, and his true position will be exposed. So let his life prove who is above, and his true position will be exposed. Let him be forced into making a choice between God and money, between God and men, between God and personal ambition, between God and self, between God and human love. God will take second place every time. Those other things will be exalted above when we're looking at his life as the proof. However the man may protest, the proof is in the choices he makes day after day throughout his life. Church, what choices are you making with your finances day after day throughout your life? Do those choices in the way that you use your money proclaim that he is Jehovah Jireh, the one who provided that money for you? Do these choices prove that he is the one you're looking to do those choices tell the world around you, the people around you, that God is the master you serve? Will you stand with me? Yeah. Lord, we thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh provider. And God, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. And so, Father, we just give you any worry right now. Lord, anyone in this room that is concerned about lacking anything, the financial worry, God, I just ask that they would lay it at your feet, knowing that you are Jehovah Jireh provider. And God, we proclaim that in our lives, knowing that, not just in our minds, God, but in our hearts, that you are Jehovah Jireh provider and you will provide, that you come through on our behalf. God, we thank you that you provided for the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8. And God, we know because you are faithful and because we can place our hope in you, that you will provide in our lives as well. God, we love you and we want to serve you and glorify you and honor your name with our finances. Lord, would you show us how to do that? God, would you give us a deeper desire to, to study your word and to know how to steward the finances that you've given us? God, we proclaim that all we have is for your glory. We want to usher in your kingdom on earth, in the lives around us, and we want to usher in your presence with whatever you've given us to do, God, whether it be our job or our skills or, or whatever treasure we have, God. May we use it for your glory to honor your name. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for tonight. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.